0: Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans.
1: And it's lights out, and away we go! <laughs> wins the Hungarian Grand Prix. Russell is still on provisional pole. This time for Stafford and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricciardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Good
0: evening. And welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Now, alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we do have Sean. Hi, Sean. How are you? Very good, thanks. How's it going? Yeah, really good. I've had a good week. Have you had a good week? I've had a a very busy week, yes. It's been a good one. Good. We haven't been on for a a few weeks yourself, so it'd be good to have your opinion on, on things, especially as things have dropped today that I'm sure... Will be a good topic for discussion. Uh, We've also got, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We've also got Emma from the Everything F1 team. How are you, Emma, today?
2: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, very good. What have you been up to this week?
2: Missing Formula One.
0: Yeah, it's a Mm. long time. This gap seems like, after having such a long gap for the summer break, it seems like we're being subjected to another long break that we just don't want. Uh, of course, that Russian Grand Prix should have been in here at some point to kind of break up the uh, time off. But at last, they didn't fill the space. Never mind. We move on. for just. We just have to wait uh, uh, two weeks more for Singapore. And anybody who's tuning in live on the Facebook feed may recognize a face from the F2 world. And we'll introduce him as Frederick Vesti. Hi, Frederick. How are you?
3: Yeah, hi. Yeah, I'm very good. And uh, yeah, it's good to be here on the podcast.
0: Yeah, well, thank you very much for coming to chat to us today. For any of our fans that might not know who you are, anyone maybe that just sticks to kind of Formula One, can I mean, can you give us a, an outline of who you are and why is it you think we would like to speak to you today? What about the, all about your career?
3: Yeah, so I'm Frederick Vesti. I'm 20 years old. I'm a Formula Two driver. I'm a part of the Mercedes Young Driver programme. And mm. this, this year I've competed, competed in the Formula Two Championship. Currently in the fight. For top three, top five results in the championship in the final round in Abu Dhabi, I have yeah. previously won the regional, the Formula Regional European Championship, and in my karting days, the the WSK. So I've driven since I was eight years old, so 12, 12
0: years. Wow. Okay, yeah, you've been doing this for a long while, and as you say, part of the Mercedes driver program, which which it must mean that you're you're doing something right you're you're meeting the right people and you're you're putting your car where it's supposed to be and and people have been watching you very sharply
3: yeah definitely it's a, it's i'm very proud to be a part of the, the mercedes young driver program it's something i specifically really wanted there was other options as i was doing really well in in lower uh, formula categories there was right. things you know there was other, other options but i really wanted to be with mercedes they've always showed an incredible strength, and, and also a belief and trust in their drivers. And that's something that I really, really found sitting with Mercedes. And I was very motivated to, to try to, to become a part of their junior program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, And it's great to see that you are, and obviously having some some great success in F2 as well for your debut season in in the F2 too. But we'll go into that when we interview you at the end of the podcast. First, we've got to talk about some news articles that have been dropping over the last couple of weeks since we've last spoken on the podcast. But before that actually, we are Everything F1. You can find us on all our social platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and also you can find us on our website www.everythingf1.com. And of course you are listening to us or watching us if you're watching us live. But if you're listening to us on the podcast on your if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast streaming service, we would love you to hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you can get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. And of course, we would love a five-star review So if you leave us a five-star review, we'll give you a name shout, shout out on one of our later podcasts. Thank you very much. Okay, well, let's go into the news then. We'll go to Sean. What's the big piece of news that dropped today?
1: Well, the big piece of news that dropped today, it was about Nick DeVries, was it not? Was that today? The (laughs) rumours floating around about Nick DeVries, or was it, are you talking about Alpine? because those are the two I, big ones for me, I think.
0: Well, I was talking about the the news that dropped just today, and that was the twenty-four race calendar. But we, we, we can we can talk about those those two things first if you want to. If you're more interested in Nick DeVries, I'm happy to talk about Nick DeVries. Let's 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 speak about him first then.
1: Yeah, I I actually forgot the calendar drop today. To be perfectly honest, because I (laughs) I, spoke about it just before we started. (laughs) I know, and I I already forgot because it'll change at some point. It's not going to be the final (laughs) calendar, so I'm I'm trying to plan to go to a race for next year, and I'm not basing my decision off this release yet. So i was trying to ignore it. But no, the big news for me this week was actually Nick De Rumors going around that he is going to be signing for AlphaTauri to replace either Gasly or Sonoda.
0: Yeah, not sure who yet. We think it probably will be a an Alpine-bound Pierre Gasly, but there's no confirmation mm. of anything yet. Obviously, it's all speculation at this point.
1: Yeah, and obviously, Sonoda doesn't have a seat confirmed for next year either, so it it mm. could be either of them. But this would be a bit of a first because I'm struggling to remember the last time Red Bull signed someone outside of their junior program to that junior team to to the to the AlphaTauri or Taro Russell team. Um, Mm. Certainly a long time ago Brendan Hartley Although again He was a Red Bull driver At one point in his career So this would be very different And I can't help but wonder If this is maybe A long-term replacement For Sergio Perez Alongside Max Verstappen could very well be, you know, yeah. two
0: that would that would two two Dutch drivers in the in the in the same team. Would that be would that be a first? I'm 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 pretty sure it probably would be actually. It probably
1: would be, and I can't, if, you know, Red Bull like their marketing. I'm sure that's playing on someone's mind somewhere. I'm sure the marketing department are licking their lips at the idea of how much money they're going to milk out of the Netherlands in two years if Nick steps up to <laughs> to be alongside Max. But no, I'm delighted for him. I think it would be a better move than than Williams. All respect to Williams for him to be up there, and if the other two drivers leave, then he'd be essentially stepping in as leader of a team as a, in his Formula 1 debut, which would be very interesting.
0: Could be, could be. Fred, let's get your opinion on this then. Nick De Vries, where are you obviously not necessarily surprised to see his name being in contention for a seat, but with AlphaTauri, is, is that a surprise to you?
3: Well, yeah, it's first of all, it's good to see him getting track time in months. Yep. It just shows that if you stay around and if you believe in the dream enough that it's gonna actually happen for you in the future and you need to to trust yourself and stay around and and he has done that and and he got the chance in manza he delivered well and I think he has put himself in a position where he actually has a shot for next year which is uh, which is brilliant for him and yeah if it's in alpha tower or Williams I think he he can be happy with either way but it's definitely he's definitely done a good job in Monza, which is then giving people they have already opened their eyes let's say
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, he he kind of stamped his authority on that race, really, didn't he? He showed that he he deserved a spot. And I think well, Williams came straight out and said, you know, he's got a spot. If he wants it, it's entirely up to up to him and the ball's in his court. So obviously then there was a, a lot of interest coming from other teams. We speculated last week that it might be Alpine, but it turns out that... Maybe Alpine still want Gasly, and that you could do a switcheroo there. But obviously, nothing's confirmed. Emma, what would you would you be happy to see Nick moving over to AlphaTauri, or would you prefer a Williams? Maybe you get a project for him to kind of bring the team to the front. What do you think?
2: I think Williams will be nice because I think Albon and DeFries would be a great lineup for Williams to bring yeah. them forward. I'd wonder who would replace Latifi, or if Latifi would be replaced if Nick does. Go to another team. But I do think it's good that he's definitely, hopefully, finding his way to Formula One because a lot of them go over to Formula E and then you don't really hear from them again. Like Stoffel Van Dorn, for example, obviously, he's had his time in Formula One, not really sure whether he will come back to Formula One. But it's good that he still remained part of a driver program, the Williams driver program, and that he's getting this opportunity. And the Mm -hmm. fact that he got the chance, you know, obviously it's sad for Alex Albon because he's ill, but the fact that he got a chance to show himself and prove himself. And he obviously is deserving the seat. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and as say if it, if he it goes to Alpha Tauri, then it does leave that seat at Williams potentially yeah. open for an experimental Logan Sergeant from the F2. Is that is that what we're also kind of speculating at this point in time?
2: I think so. Maybe. I'm 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 looking at Fred <laughs> because he was obviously in a three with him. See whether he's going to pull a face to give him away, <laughs> but you probably don't know anyway. <laughs>
0: Uh, Fred, do you, would you could you see Logan Sargent maybe moving up this soon or is it still a bit too early for, for him to kind of move into F1?
3: Well, I think it's possible for, that we could see him. Obviously, he's a direct competitor with me in F2 this year. And yeah. We're fighting for the third place in the championship. He's a little bit ahead on the points right now. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sure he he could get the opportunity next year if, if he does a good uh, season finale in Abu Dhabi. I don't know if he has the Super License points or not to to reach F1. So potentially this F2 season finale could be very important for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is he getting is he getting some FP one time? I can't remember now. Is he? I'm
3: pretty sure he will drive in the American free practice one in, in America.
0: Yeah, because of course, yeah. obviously, him being American and an F1 actually wanting an American driver, I do think he's got maybe a slight benefit over, say, you know, you know, other drivers with similar license points. So you know, I think I think Williams would favour them for. for sponsorship reasons in america really as well okay uh, emma and news any other news stories that you want to chat chat about while we're here well
2: i thought the big news today was the 24 races
0: there we go like sean says <laughs> it
2: probably will change but obviously it's great to see for me anyway i was worried that spa wasn't going to be on there but it is on there provisionally at the moment
0: it is Monica in the space of the 24 hour spa as well wasn't it they're, they're, they're
2: yes yeah i think i have to move that now that's yeah, interesting.
0: so interesting placement. yeah that's a
2: shame for them but it is i think sophia one of our someone from everything f1 she's mentioned that it's good that they've put the races a lot closer together you know because it's better for the environment for them to be clustered in the actual areas rather than flying here there and everywhere with you know all the cars and the equipment
0: mm. yeah but 24 races is just a mammoth amount of yeah. uh, races isn't it in a season it'll be a record-breaking season for f1 but <laughs> I can't imagine being a driver or even just one of the team members that goes to all these things that they're going to have to kind of get an extra, an extra few team members just so they can kind of rotate a bit and make it a bit more fair so they can see their family and family and friends a bit more often. Fred, do you think the 24 races is too much for F1 or do you think, or are you excited to kind of be included in that kind of 24 race? Well, first of all, I
3: think it's the it's the best thing that could happen for the fans because the fans yeah. are gonna gonna love it because they're gonna have F1 on pretty much half of the
0: year, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, um, it's gonna be great the, for us. We're gonna have loads to talk about, so yeah, we're exactly. we're, happy. we're happy. exactly.
3: It's it's. I think for for the the whole world around Formula One, watches Formula One, who does events for Formula One, all of this, I think they're gonna benefit a lot for the drivers it's tough. This year, I went from doing seven rounds last year in F3 to doing 14 this year. So that's mm-hmm. already a big jump. And when you're a Formula One driver, you do a lot more media and you do a lot more race weekends than I do in Formula Two. Yeah. They also do have the benefits of very good hotels, very nice travel. They they do have many good benefits. So the drivers are not too worried about, but it's more the, the staff, the mechanics, the engineers, they're going to have to work very hard, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure that the teams are gonna have to figure out a way where they can rotate throughout me- the year with mechanics and engineers, mm-hmm. because I think it's it's probably not all in F1 who are willing to to take out almost yeah the whole year to to do racing, because many people have families and uh, and kids. But for the drivers, I I would say it's it's a it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely, I agree. I, if I was a driver, I'd love to drive in as many countries and races that, that I possibly could. I'm just getting up the calendar, uh, the calendar on my phone, so I can actually see. Were there any surprises for you, Sean, going looking at the calendar? Oh, we we've lost France, which I think was always on the cards to lose, but we're gaining in its place, China, which is, you know, superb race. Mm-hmm. Japan's back on the calendar
1: Yeah, Japan's back The surprises for me And why I think this will not be a 24 race calendar When we actually get there is Azerbaijan Because yeah. they're sort of doing what Russia did And Saudi Arabia Because there was a missile strike at that race this year I can't believe that's still on the calendar Like the... the I'd be surprised if both of them <laughs> remain, but Azerbaijan more than anything it was a surprise to me that there's not even an asterisk beside that yet. But we'll see what happens. For the but most Formula part,
0: does have a record about you know even races going ahead
1: in war-torn countries. That you know, is it's, it's... very true. Yes, unfortunately, but <laughs> such such it is. Baku, at the very least, is usually a pretty good race. So yeah, you know, it's a good one. You know not going to be too negative. I think made a good point there that they're, they're trying a bit harder to shore up, kind of. The flyaway races, obviously, towards the end of the, the, the year, you've got Mexico, Brazil, Vegas, and Texas all in a line together, which is great. They're all close enough before flying back to Abu Dhabi, which is fair enough. That has the long contract to be the, the, the final race. But at the same time, they're kind of undoing all of that by going from Azerbaijan to Miami to Italy, which is yeah. just insane. And then Monaco, Spain, Canada, Austria. Surely they could have put at least Miami and Canada. Back to back, so have all of them over in North America for you know in the middle of the European
0: season. That part they've is- always done that with Canada, though, haven't they? They've aw- Canada's always been in the middle of the
1: European. Maybe the it's season, scheduling
2: so. problems.
1: It is a little bit scheduling problems because it's in the middle of the city and, and, weather. and weather. Montreal, well. Montreal. I live there. is cold, uh, but you know, at, at the very least, Montreal's not that far away from say the UK, where a lot of the like, compared to all the other North American flyways, but maybe they could have done a little bit more to push Miami back a bit. It's not like that. Like that's no matter what time of the year, they put that on. As long as it's before August, it's going to be, you know, out of NFL season. So it's not going to interrupt the, the hard rock stadium. So, but anyway, they've tried a little bit more. Belgium in July is going to be weird though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a bit weird, but hopefully that means no more deluges and two lap races. But at least it's still on the calendar because there was obviously very... Which, which is the most important thing, to have yeah. to have those classic tracks, you know, Spa, Suzuka, Interlagos still there, which is great as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. we all unanimously adore the Brazilian Grand Prix. Monaco, I believe, signed up for another couple of years. Three years, yeah. Three 20, more 20, years, yeah. Five or 26, is it? Yeah, so it's day. That- that's great as well. So we've got some good classic tracks and having China back is is great as well because the Chinese race is usually extremely exciting and it's a great track. It's a very, very unique track.
0: Mm, absolutely. Fred, your thoughts on the 2023 calendar? Did you have a look through and look, see any races that you wish, hope that F2 go to and support yeah. F1?
3: Yeah, I, I'm still so surprised, like, yeah, of course, the, the, how many races we, we're actually going to do. And, but one thing I'm, I'm really excited about, and, and F2 has already announced this, is that next year F2 is going to drive in Melbourne, in Australia. And I think that's going to be just an experience like no other, because usually we we go to Abu Dhabi and then we follow, we start in Bahrain, finish in Abu Dhabi, and then we, we sort of do the European season. And yeah. that, those tracks are legendary. And I wouldn't change them for anything because they're, European classic F1 trucks they are great but going to other places uh, where no one has ever driven before I think that's going to be a massive challenge for for the young F2 drivers
0: yeah absolutely and uh, yeah. Uh, it can be a good race uh, they, they've made some adjustments to to the Australian track as well so hopefully those adjustments could, could help with F2 uh, yeah, on, and, 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 bring, and F2 usually
3: don't struggle as much as F1 to to overtake and so on. So I'm I'm not really scared that, that that race is going to be difficult in terms of F2, especially with the with the track changes
0: that has happened to improve overtaking. As the F2 calendar dropped, is it, have they? Chosen no, all, all of the all of them. There? No, no, really? it, it,
3: I don't think it's official yet. I think. It will look fairly similar to to the twenty twenty two one. Right. I don't think it will change a lot. Of course, France will be gone, but I think there will be Melbourne instead. And uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure which other events that's going to be. Yeah.
0: And is it going to rem- do? You think it will remain fourteen? There's, there's no contract uh, from.
3: Really... So I I don't know from any official, but for sure I I think it will. From what I heard uh, and, and spoke to people about, it will remain under fourteen races, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's as much track time as possible. Is what we want.
0: Yeah, and I suppose you put more races on. With F2, It's there's a lot of money that sponsorships have to be found by yeah. you guys. You guys yourself have to get the, the sponsorships and stuff, don't you? And, yeah. And teams have to drum up that sort of thing. So it would be putting yeah. a lot of pressure on you guys if you, if you had more.
1: I did notice one thing. There is an asterisk on the official calendar on the F1 website. Vegas. All right. Oh. There is an asterisk beside Vegas that says subject to FIA circuit homologation. Yeah, cuz it's a new new track yes. It's a new track to, and it's a and it's a street circuit so it's not like they could just set it up tomorrow and test it. So that could that actually might mean that could be cancelled at the very last minute. So that could throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I'm sure the the teams will have to be like made well aware of that so they could kind of prep some Backups of where to send stuff, and so rushing off to Badabi if needs be. But that—that's interesting. I'm sure that I'm sure it'll sort sorted that sort out. they've been planning this one for long enough. I do. I do
0: think that one will definitely go ahead, and there'll be a, a backhanded payment if <laughs> if it's if it's not up to scratch, because it's actually Formula One that's gaining everything from yeah, that. Yeah, a, a backhanded payment in Formula by... One. Never, no. <laughs> never. <laughs> Max Mosley's long gone. <laughs> yeah but his dna is all over the yeah sport. It's, it's all over so. the sport <laughs> <laughs> oh that's us two old cynical people i think that's we should we should change another news article that i want to speak about is super license points obviously super license points has been in the limelight because of the whole Col- colton herter situation alpha we were speaking obviously about them taking obviously who were we were talking about taking nick de vries on uh, a few moments ago but that's because the colton herter situation that he doesn't have enough super license points. Obviously, he being an, an IndyCar driver, they don't earn them in the same way that F2 drivers do. And, you know, drivers coming via that route to do. It's not an FIA series, that's why. So, so there's question marks over this. We'll go to Fred first, because obviously that's something that you're in the process of doing, gaining your super license points and, and obviously trying to work yourself into uh, a Formula One team. Obviously, with the mercedes Young driver program, you're doing a, a, good, a good job so far. Um, but Colton Herter. He has come out today and said he doesn't want special treatments, but obviously he doesn't have enough points. He, he thinks the, the super license points needs to be adjusted. Do you, do you agree with him to a certain extent?
3: I really like what he said that he doesn't want to have, and like, he doesn't want to be treated differently just because people and the media and, and everyone is pushing for it. Uh, yeah. I think that I really respect him for that because that just shows that He's actually fighting for something greater than just his own F1 seat. And, and I yeah I respect him for that. I know that IndyCar is a great series. And I'm actually not aware how much points they actually do get for IndyCar podium, let's say like in the championship, how much the leader in second and third place gets. But I know that in Formula 2, if you finish in the top five, you should have enough points to, to reach Formula 1. And I think IndyCar, with its drivers, with its cars and tracks, I think it's on a, on a level near Formula 2 at least. So with that in mind, I think they they need to at least look at it also because it's if there is good drivers somewhere else other than F two, I think everyone has should have a fair chance to be looked at and and especially if the if if the F one teams wants to put a guy from IndyCar, they should have the chance to do so. I don't see why that wouldn't be the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with what you're saying. What 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 he's what Colton herter himself was saying. You know. He doesn't want the special treatment, but he does want the license points to be to be kind of looked at mm. and looked into. I think it's is it only the top three in IndyCar at the end
1: of the, the end of the season that, that get points to. They is it, is it they much? award points for the top ten, but it's really only the top three that make any difference, and that's just in terms of who wins the championship. So first place is forty points, the same as mm. Formula Two, yeah. but from there it drops off. Second right. and third place in Formula 2 are both 40 points as well, whereas second right. and third in IndyCar are 30 points and 20 points. And then again, there's a, a, an even bigger drop. Fourth place in Formula 2 is 30 points, and fourth place in, in IndyCar is only 10 points. Mm. So literally from second place, there's just a big, big gulf between the series. And yeah, I think that's that seems to be how it works. I'm not sure how the points are doled out for like wins and podiums, stuff like that, though.
0: Yeah, and there's been a few vocal drivers saying, obviously, you know, F1 is just an elitist sport. They don't want an American in there. And I've i got to be honest, I completely disagree with them. I think F1 does want an American driver in the seat, but an F1 driver that deserves his seat. Colton Herter, at the end of the day, this year has been a bit up and down. He hasn't mm. been very consistent at all. So maybe he needs another season to kind of prove that he actually does deserve his seat. Emma, what, what do you think?
2: Mm. My problem is with that, like as much as I agree with him, is that I don't want there to be a backlog of people from Formula 2 not being able to get into Formula 1 because then a load of IndyCar drivers coming over. And again, I agree with you in the fact that Logan Sargent's in F2, Jack Crawford is moving up to F2, he's American. There is American drivers in F2. Maybe it is a bit more difficult, which is why maybe they should adjust the points system. But when you see people like Nick DeFries, who's 2019 f2 champion and oscar piastri only just getting into formula one mm-hmm. n- rather than straight after winning the championship it makes you think maybe there might be a lot of people wanting to get into formula one and you've got people like Alonso, who is not planning on leaving formula one anytime soon so it's it's a bit of a difficult one i think
0: it is it, well it, i mean it is the elite motorsport but hopefully it doesn't mean it's too elite to not allow the Americans to drive. They've just got to go down the, the correct routes. And I think that's something we all agree with. Sean, sorry, are you going to say something?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you made a good point earlier on that, you know, it's not an FIA sanctioned sport. And at the end of the day, the FIA are are looking out for their, their own sports. And why would they not? Like, that's just how, at the end of the day, the FIA, the FIA is like a business. And why would they not look out for their own business interests? Like... F2, F3, F1 is the established path into Formula 1. Have other people gone other ways? Yes, of course they have. Max Verstappen didn't even bother with Formula 2 because he didn't (laughs) need to because... They said he didn't. He probably yeah, should have, di- though. A whole different system then, wasn't Completely. it? That's why. And they literally changed the rules of how you can even get super license points and called it the Max Verstappen rule. So there are obviously different ways to do it. And obviously, like I mentioned, Brendan Hartley, he was a, a Red Bull junior and then they dropped him and then they panicked for someone to put him in the seat and thought, oh, I have his number. Let's call him for a couple of seasons." And yeah, I, th- I think Evan makes a, a very, very good point. You know, Colton Herta, He's a good driver. I think, Tilly made a good point as well. He's not a perfect driver. He's still only 22, even though he looks a lot older than that. But like, I was a bit surprised to find out how young he is. He was born in the year 2000. I didn't think anyone was born after the year 2000. Um, <laughs>
2: Don't say that in front of Fred.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're, it, we're, Sorry, Fred. We're just old, <laughs> we're, we're just old we're timers, old. Sean. We're just old timers. Um, That's all right. <laughs> it's a backwards compliment I guess but he's not the only American driver and there are drivers like Logan Sargent who are, who who have kind of gone about it in I suppose the more traditional sense, obviously traditions can be booked but it's not like there's a lack of American drivers and yes Formula 1 wants an American driver, there's going to be three yeah, three American races next year, Miami vegas and texas which is the most everyone has ever had in the us if i'm right in saying that so obviously yes it'd be great but at the same time there's no point pushing it too hard you don't need another scott speed just showing up to fill the numbers <laughs> Do you know i i would much rather see a logan Sargent earn his way into formula one regardless of what his national flag is Uh, And then it'd just be, you know, a happy coincidence from the marketing people's point of view that, great, we have another, you know, American Formula One driver. But yeah, is it a shame that Colton won't get a chance? I guess. But would he have lit the world of Formula One up more than, say, Oscar Piastri or Nick DeVries? No, not a chance. Hmm. Is anyone on the live feed? Because we've usually got a
0: resident American in the feed. I'd be interested to see what what he's got to say about it all. I can't see it at the moment because I don't want to put my mobile data under pressure this, this precise moment
2: He says I, ultimately it's up to the teams and he said it's good that Herter is not one in a free pass
0: yeah it's good yeah it's just it shows that he's you know thinking about this the sport in, as a whole rather than just himself as as
1: Fred did say actually earlier.
0: Okay, well, any other news articles that we should talk about before we move on to our interview with Fred? The
1: one that came out, I think it was today, yesterday, about the the champion elect for Formula 2, Fred, actually, Felipe Drogovic commented saying that he'd be willing to stay in Formula 2, but obviously that's not really allowed. So have you heard about that? Like, is there a way that he could stay in Formula 2 having officially won the championship that you might know
3: of? No, I, I don't think there is. I think it's uh, it's obviously it makes sense from his perspective that he has won the championship. He's not expecting a CD in F1 next year. Mm. He doesn't just want to sit on on the side and just watching F1 cars drive around. He obviously mm. wants to, to be able to improve his skills. A driver who stops improving is, is not moving forward towards F1. So you you always want to to improve. And I think that's where he he probably sees that, okay, if I could actually do another year, in F2 and, and continue the development. You know, there's both qualifying, racecraft, all of these things that can be refined. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's just not gonna happen, I think. Uh, mm, it's, no. it's clearly not uh, in part of the regulations right now. And I don't think the FIA or anyone is interested in making it a part of it because he has already proved his worth mm. and, and, uh, and he should now go to F1 if, if that's what the teams want. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it can also be very tricky and, and risky for him because imagine if something happened and he didn't win the championship, he would actually mm-hmm. lose that respect that he has gained this year. I think from from everyone in this Formula One world. So that's that's how I look at it, and I think I understand him, but I think it's pretty simple that that it just won't happen.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think it's a bit of like a triple-edged sword. It's both fair and unfair to a lot of different parties involved. Obviously, yeah. it it means that there's no. Lewis Hamilton style or Michael Schumacher style domination of the sport where everyone, like yeah. it, it's all equal machinery. Everyone has an equal chance to win, really. But at the same time, it's a little bit unfair. Obviously, as, as I mentioned, when well, there's just no chance for the Formula 2 champion in the direct feeder series to step up to a Formula 1 car. But uh, yeah, and again, like you said, it would ruin his reputation if he, if he stayed on. You're only when, as good as your last race, as they say. Exactly. You look at um, Jamie Chadwick in W Series. Staying in W Series this year for her was a huge risk. Being a, a two-time champion and come back with a, a brand new team, obviously it's working out for a pretty great at the moment. <laughs> Not so much for the rest of the for for the rest of the drivers in, in, in W Series though, who are being dominated yet again by the reigning champion. So maybe they need to to look at a, a sort of a similar system. But no, I think you're right. It's, it, it it I suppose it's the fairest thing that he 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 can't come back next year. So where Wouldn't would you any... see Felipe? Where would you see Felipe? Sorry, next year then? Do you, th-
0: do you think obviously he'll just stick as the reserve driver, young driver for Aston Martin, and just have a few free practices, or do you think he might drive for another series as well? Question for you, sorry, Fred. Do you think he'll? Do you think he'll maybe maybe Formula E or, or some one of the other open wheel racing?
3: Well, I think he wants to stay as close to the Formula One team as possible. Being in every single meeting, every single weekend, really showing his interest in the team, and then if. And yeah, if he gets a chance in the Formula One car, which I'm not sure if he will, but I, I think he probably will, being the champion in F2, when he gets time in the car, he really needs to deliver and show them that he could be a potential driver. And that way he can make his entry to F1 if everything works out for him. But I think it's also a bit risky to to start going elsewhere away from the F1 paddock, because very quickly, new exciting names is, is coming up in the F1 world. And... Yeah, you just want to stay as close as possible to that Formula One car.
1: Uh, look yeah. at Callum Milot. We were all saying he deserved a Ferrari seat, and no one's mentioned his name in a year. Mm. Just out of sight, out of mind, I guess. Yeah,
3: yeah. that's the thing. Like, the, if you, yeah, you need to stay on the scene of F1, and, and, and that's the same for me. Like, I need to be delivering on in F2 because it's the closest thing to F1. It's it's where F1 teams are looking right down to look at potential drivers. And that's why F2 is
0: such an important time for for a young driver. Absolutely. Any any other news articles? That or should we just move on to to interviewing Fred Emma?
2: I don't no. think there's anything else really.
0: Okay. Well, perfect segue. Then let's let's head into our interview with our special guest, Fred Frederick Dusty. So, Frederick, you you said yourself you've been driving in carts and cars since. Well, for twelve years, so it's it's a it's a fair amount of time that you've got with experience behind the the wheel. What got you into carts and and, and, and driving car, uh, carts like was it was it your dad pushing you into it or or did you always have the interest yourself? Well, it was
3: I would say it started when I was two years old because I was riding a, a motocross bike when I was two years old. And, wow! And my dad he built these stabilizers, you know, from a bike he built it onto the onto my motocross bike so I could actually <laughs> ride it without falling. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, that was where it all started. And then anything that had an uh, engine was, I was interested. So if it was cutting the grass, uh, doing motocross in the garden, it doesn't matter if I could just do something with an engine. My dad always used to race. My two brothers were already doing karting when I was younger, like before I was eight years old and was allowed to drive. So as soon as I turned eight, my dad got me a go-kart and I started. We were driving, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday every single week, all year, when the track was opened. And uh, yeah, for four years in the beginning. And, and that's how I and my dad became became as good as we.
0: We became in go-kart. Brilliant. Uh, does that mean you're faster than your brothers then? Well, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you don't like to you don't like to brag. You don't like to no, no,
3: no, they, they've moved on. They have two, uh, they, they one is a policeman, one is an ambulance driver. So they're both driving something. Quite fast at times, <laughs> so they still yeah. use their their racing.
0: But for some reason, it was me who who kept on racing. What was your success like then in carts? Did you did, did was it you were winning quite often, regularly, or it got yeah, championships and that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, definitely. Like in in the Danish karting, it was I was definitely one of the the, the better drivers. I've won uh, I think five, four or five uh, Danish championships out of six. So I've wow. missed one. And that, wow. that one championship, I think I lost on the same points to my good, uh, one of my good friends now. We were equal on points, but because he won the last race or something like that, like a, a stupid rule, he, <laughs> he won the championship. Wow. Yeah. So, karting, especially in Denmark, was very successful. I then moved to international karting in Italy, which then was a lot more difficult, a lot better drivers, a lot more about engines, go-karts, different things. I was driving with energy factory team. And this was a very difficult year. I was barely speaking English and we were on a very, very tight budget that year. And I couldn't produce any results. The team was struggling. I was struggling and it was just a bad combination. And at the very last race, I was about to crack uh, pressure. I I was about to stop racing at this time. And my dad asked me if we could, he would give me the chance to drive one weekend in the, in the best team on, on the grid. And Or we could just stop for that year and, and and try to move on to something else the year after. And I think if you ask anyone who's a competitive guy, they will take the shot. They will take the chance. Yeah. And I believed enough in myself to say, listen, I want that one chance. And if it doesn't work out, I'm finished. Because then, clearly, I, doesn't ha- I, I don't have what it takes. And I took the chance. And I ended up winning the race that I've been dreaming of since I started karting. I've been watching with my brother for at that time, six years, I think, the the World wow. Series karting. Uh, wow. and And that's still, like, I've won now in Formula 2 and Formula 3, but that victory there, that's the one that means the most to me.
0: Yeah, I suppose there was the pressure there that you could, that you had to prove yourself. So you, you kind of, yeah, you, you'd hold that in, in high regard, definitely. Yeah, it,
3: it just meant everything because it was such a difficult time in my career, coming from winning everything in Denmark till struggling a whole year of tw- 30 weekends of karting and then suddenly getting
0: that breakthrough win. Emma, do you have a question about Fred's early career? Well,
2: it sounds like you're doing quite a lot of travelling. Would you say that was quite difficult or are you just used to that by now?
3: Well, I was the day I signed the contract to go racing for the factory team in Italy, I was 12 years old. I had to pretty much leave school, leave my friends, leave my family. My, My father would travel with me on the weekends, but would then have to travel back to work. And I would most likely stay in Italy for at least three or four weeks at the time. I did back home for a week, maybe. I had to do my own homework because obviously we couldn't bring a teacher. And and of course, we had the computers and so on. So we could do it quite online, but it still wasn't in the books and stuff. So I had to be very strict on myself. But I've always loved learning. It's never been an issue for me to... like. As soon as you start learning, there's no more progress and progress is, is why I live and it's what I live for. So if it's to do with racing or in school. So I, I actually didn't struggle too much and I, I balanced the traveling every single week as 13, 12, 13 years old and also managing the school and, and friends.
1: Brilliant. Sean, any questions for, about, about Fred's early career? Obviously. So karting kind of led then into, I suppose, o- open wheel. What was that jump like? from from karting into the open wheelers because obviously the it's it's quite a difference yeah so
3: my me and my dad decided to go a bit of a different strategy than most people because we didn't have the money to to take me straight into formula four in my first year so my dad he ended up buying two formula ford which is this old formula car that mm. everyone now the the older f1 drivers definitely started in and everyone will say it's the most it's the best car they've ever driven And and it's very cheap to run. And we were renting out one car, making money that way I could race. So we had a lot of test days. We had a lot of races. We were racing mainly in Denmark, but also in Sweden and different places. Also in Spa, I did a race when I was 14. And my dad at this time, you were allowed to drive when you were 15. So what my dad did, he requested to the Danish Motorsport Federation, if it was possible to lower the age, because I was clearly ahead of of what is normal. (laughs) Uh, right. So they, they, the Danish Motorsport so SEO station could see that, okay, I should probably get a chance and they, they changed the rule to 14. So that's how I started. And that move was, yeah, incredible going from carding, very lightweight, go-kart to suddenly having to manage braking on the front and the rear
0: and up to 600 kilos of mass. Mm. Wow. Wow. there's quite a bit of quite a good pedigree uh, of races come from Denmark. Obviously you've got Jan Magnussen and, and Kevin Magnussen and, and, and various others that have reached Formula One over the years. Have you met these guys? Have you did you take any, any advice from them or, or anything yeah. like that in your career?
3: There's definitely a lot of, of great racing drivers from Denmark and, and a lot of people is actually ask me why, because we're such a small country. We're only five point five million people and it's you know like you would expect not to have a lot. Actually, a lot of Danish drivers is driving on demand and now Kevin in in Formula One and yeah, and in in the US as well. And I think it's mainly the the hard work that we're used to do in Denmark, because not really a lot of people come from a lot of money in Denmark. We really have to create it ourselves. And a lot of the good drivers from Denmark actually has, has done it on talent and hard work, which is why I think it's actually working out for the Danish drivers.
0: So have you have you taken any advice from Jan Magnussen or Kevin Magnuson? Have you seen them? Or yeah, yeah. They, I've seen th- you driving.
3: I've met them and and also other, other drivers from Denmark throughout my my entire <laughs> career since I was eight and now I'm twenty and mm-hmm. I'm still talking to to a lot and still learning. Great, Emma.
0: Question for Fred.
2: Uh, I've got a similar sort of question. Is there anyone in particular in the motorsport world who you've always looked up to? Who's your idol?
0: Well,
3: it's, it sort of started with Sebastian Vettel when I really got into Formula One. And that was in his Red Bull dominant time. And then it sort of changed a bit to Lewis Hamilton when I got a bit older. And that's also where I, of course, got the love for Mercedes and, and my huge motivation to become a part of the, the junior program of Mercedes. So I would say Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton are the ones I've always yeah just looked up to and, and tried to understand what they do to to be so good. The
2: game. It's the same sure. as me, oh, exactly sorry. the same two drivers that I love.
0: Yeah, oh, there you go. So, so' something in common with each other. Sean, have you got another question for Fred? From um, again, keep it early because I don't want to peek too soon.
1: <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned obviously that you know kind of you're starting to follow Lewis Hamilton as how you kind of kind of t- developed the love for Mercedes, and I was reading a little bit about how you ended up with the Mercedes junior program and it's not how most people do it you kind of went to them didn't you is is that how it happened how how exactly did did you kind of almost force your way into the Mercedes junior program because it's not one you hear too much about
3: yeah so basically it was in my I think first or second year in in Formula 4 yeah second year in Formula 4 Formula 4. Uh, I was with Van Amas Racing in the German uh, Formula 4 series and uh, the team knew uh, very well. They had good contacts with the head of Ms. Mercedes uh, Junior Junior Programme, uh, Gwenn so who is still the head of it. And I had this big motivation to join the, the Junior Programme and I really, really wanted to do it. So I, of course, asked my team manager to give me like to, to at least tell him how good I am and, and show, show my talent to, to Gwen from Mercedes. But also I received his email and his phone number. And after each single weekend, I would write what, went wrong, like what was good and, and, and what was bad. And I think most drivers would probably do it when it went well, like, oh, look at me, I just did a podium or I just did a race win. But actually I, I sort of look at it a bit different because in Formula 4 and even in Formula 2, we're not good enough yet to reach Formula One. It's all about how much we can learn, how quickly. And, and that's what I wanted to show him. How quickly, like to put myself in a bit of a difficult situation and tell him, actually, this is, the, this is my struggle. This is what I'm working on. And then I will prove him that I can actually improve on that and, 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 become, and become stronger on the other side. So I, I, I did that. And, and of course, the, the relationship developed throughout two, three years before I got signed to the junior program. So it was the first it started with a contact then it started with me giving both good and bad information about myself and my driving and mm. then of course the results has to be there before
1: Mercedes would ever consider any driver. Well that that's a fascinating story and I have to say you really kind of incorporate your two idols on that obviously Lewis Hamilton famously went to Ron Dennis and said I yeah. want to drive for you so well done you did that as well and step Vettel in his early days was known for being so involved in everything that was going right and wrong, whether it was yeah. himself or the team, learning it all from the ground up and being heavily involved and finding out what his own weaknesses were. And f- fair play for, for taking both on. It's a very, very mature approach to it. And like you said, it's definitely not one that a lot of people would do. They just say, Oh, I won today, and then you wouldn't hear from them for six weeks while they're crashing. Um, exactly. but as you say, Formula Four, the junior series, it, it's 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 not it's not as much about your results, but what are you learning when yeah. you're maybe not getting the and how do you get to
3: F1? Because yeah. you can do you will see cutting drivers who are world champions and doing P1 every single weekend and then they go to F4 and they struggle mm. and, and, and they struggle to understand why they struggle. And that that's actually the biggest issue because I think anyone can become good drivers, but if you don't understand why you're quick and why you're slow, then you will then you will never ever make it. It's, it's understanding it's all about understanding that and if you do that then you can work on being consistent
1: yeah well no surprise Merck picked you up then I believe you're the first Mercedes Formula 2 driver since George Russell yes correct which again yeah. is incredible because like I said it's it's not a program you hear as much about as say Alpine which obviously has been yeah. in the news for the past four months um, <laughs> or Red Bull which would be the, the, the big one so yeah yes yeah, it's, it's a very unique one and congratulations on you, you clearly made an impression on them
3: yeah thank you very much
1: well, it might have been as well a part of your
0: Formula Regional Championship. What year, what year was that that you, that you won? That was the 2019. The, the form, yeah. 2019, that's it. Yeah. So t- can you tell us about the, how, how that went and, and, and how you felt? I mean, was, was it 20 podiums that you got that season?
3: Yeah, something like that. I'm not quite sure, actually, but I think it was 13 or 14 wins uh, out of wow. 25 races uh, or 24 races. It was a really dominant year. And it was one of those that actually didn't start completely dominant. But I sort of just improved each each weekend and each test day I did. And, and I think that, that season is probably the, the ideal result of, of how when you actually work well and you understand when you're slow, when you're fast, and you do that development. I think that's the... That's how a season looks like if you do that perfectly, because it was at the end, like in the beginning, I was easily beatable. I was not P1 all the time. I was up and down on the podium sometimes. But at the end, I was clearly doing pole positions all the time and race wins all the time. Mm. And
0: and that's, that's the difference. And you were with Prima that year, weren't you? Yes, you? exactly. That was my first year with Prima. And then, was it straight away that you went across to Formula 3 with Prima? Three yeah, I stepped up years? to F3 with Prima, with uh,
3: Logan Sargent and Oscar Pierre that year, where we were fighting for the title, all of us, together with Thierry Poucher as well. And <laughs> I unfortunately lost out. And it's crazy to think that Oscar now has a, a F1 contract with, with McLaren, and I was fighting uh, alongside him uh, that whole year.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you yeah, had some good results. Uh, I've got the list here. You you, you won a, f- a few times, was it, in Formula 3?
3: Yeah, I was actually, was I, was, I was the, it's funny, I was the winning driver that year. I, I had three feature race wins out of nine, and that was the most of anyone. And the bad thing was I had the most DNFs as well, which meant I wasn't, I, I finished 16 points off P1, which was Oscar that year. And and looking back at my year, so many things could have gone, gone better, but everyone will say that. And... And, and that's just how it is. But it was definitely a great year.
0: And you had a second year again at Formula Three. And yeah. And you, you, that was with ART, wasn't it? Was yeah, I changed who to who you're currently with. Yes,
3: exactly. I, I made the switch to ART, and and that second year was sort of, I want to go and win, and 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 that would be what I need to do because I didn't do it in the first year, yeah. and it was a difficult year in, in with ART in in 2021 in year three. I got a win, I got a pole position, but we just didn't really have the pace to actually fight right at the top, and and that was frustrating because I came from Premier where I had three race wins, and I had to do even better the second year, but I actually didn't, and that's the risk when you stay
0: a second year. But you earned your space in Formula 2, and that's where you currently are obviously this, this year, so you you obviously impressed them, uh, the ART, enough to kind of promote you to, to F2. How, how would you rate your season so far this year? Well,
3: I would rate it a 7 out of 10. It may be a 6.5, but let's say 7 because it's been a good year. Before the summer break, I was on fire. I was yeah. doing very, very good results pretty much each weekend. Some weekends didn't go as planned and I didn't score as many points as I should have, had, should have done. But why it's not higher than 7 is definitely because of my beginning of the year where I really struggled with the car and, and just with myself getting... Getting getting to know the car and the tires because in Formula Two you you do free practice on a hard uh, compound and then you do qualifying on a soft compound and mm-hmm. and that switch I just couldn't get it right in the beginning where now
0: I'm starting to to understand
3: it better so so yeah that that was that that's the score I would give and, and the reason why
0: and and what's it like sorry and I'm I feel like I'm hogging you actually Emma let, let's let's go to Emma sorry Emma ask a question next sorry I'll ask mine later
2: well, now that we're on to formula two, I wanted to ask because we recently had uh, and derval on and we asked him which race he would want to win if he could win any f two race and he said monaco, uh what would yours be?
3: yeah, I don't know Monaco is cool i yeah I think monaco being on the podium Monaco is something special and and definitely winning that would be incredible but also silverstone eh, I would love to win silverstone just because it's such a Historical and classic event, and and I love the UK and I
0: love Silverstone. So
3: either Silverstone or Monaco, and yeah, hopefully I can do both next
0: year. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope so. What what are the two cars like? So in terms of uh, Formula Three versus Formula Two, is there a massive leap, or is it not? It's not as big as you you were expecting.
3: Like, I'll ride performance and, and the feeling of the car is not massively different in the way that you have to approach it. So if you just look at the technical side of how you drive the car, when in a quali, let's say, it's not massively different. The tricky thing in F2 is that you do FP on the hard compound, do quality on the soft compound. Like there's so many variables in Formula 2 that actually doesn't exist in Formula 3. So there's this term called arrive and drive. And, and F3 is a bit like that. You arrive, you do your prep, you do FP, and you do exactly the same again in quality, and then you go on and on. It's a bit like that. F2, on the other hand, there is so many variables. Everything can change. The carbon brakes in the Formula 2 car, which the F3 car doesn't have, is a massive, massive difference. It brakes a lot more, that's the first thing. So the neck needs to get used to that. But it's mainly the difference in performance if just a bit off in temperature. If you're missing 50 degrees, your car won't be stopping, and you will go straight in T1. Mm. Those kind of issues is just not there in Formula Three, and I think dealing with those in Formula Two are uh, the tricky part of Formula Two. It's not actually driving the car on the limit. Like it's difficult, this is sure, and it's difficult to do on a consistent level. But it's just all the the small things that changes uh, throughout the day and
0: and the championship. And are you good at the kind of engineering side of things? You know, t- uh, telling your engineers that oh, you know, it needs more balance on this side, change the brakes, change this, that, and the other, a bit more wing, less wing, you know, are you good at kind of troubleshooting as you're driving? I think so. I, I think hard? it's something
3: I've learned from carding and so on. I've always done it myself together with my dad, and I've always been interested in how does this car drive? Like, how does it work? How does an engine work? How does suspension work? How does everything work? And that's just because I'm interested and I want to learn. And I think that helps me a lot now. Like if I have an issue with my car on the track, I can actually understand why and what I can do maybe to help it and, and those things. But saying that, while saying that, I'm also thinking about when I was in Abu Dhabi last year, the, the F1 test when George was, was starting up with Mercedes. I was there with the headphones and everything, listening to George. And and he's on a complete different level. <laughs> like he he's obviously been in Formula 1 for three years now. And... And yeah, incredible how his feedback was, and that's something I'm um, I'm trying to to let's say aim for. And and this year I've made a big step since I I sort of realized how how high the benchmark is. Sean,
0: question?
1: Yeah. So now that we're on F two, you mentioned that you kind of rated a, a kind of a seven out of ten sort sort of year, but obviously you're coming back off the back of what would have been what was your best weekend of the of the season with two second places, which is. I think the most impressive thing that an F2 driver could do is be on the podium in the sprint and the feature race. I think that's probably the hardest thing to do. I think that's really how Mick Schumacher won his his uh, his championship was just he never really won all that often and his qualifying wasn't always that great but he was just always up there sprint hmm. and feature after sprint and feature. So congratulations on that it was a very very good weekend but now there's a massive massive gulf of between now and the last round in in Abu Dhabi so now. What do you do for the next almost three months? Like, obviously, you said you're in that fight for um, as high as third position. You're coming off the back of your best weekend of the season. How do you stay in that mindset, stay prepped and then come into Abu Dhabi? Like, is it a good thing having that gap? Or do you think it might kind of hurt the momentum after such a good weekend in Monza?
3: Well, I do podcasts like this. <laughs> <laughs> <are you> good. <laughs> no. Um, good answer. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the first thing, which is the mo- most important, is the all the work I do at Mercedes F1 in the simulator. That really keeps me sharp, both on the feedback, the driving, the whole reason why a car goes quick or why it doesn't. Like that's that's the first thing. Then the second thing is is the gym. <laughs> I, I see the gym almost every day, other than Sunday. This whole <laughs> week or the, this whole big break, and the third thing. That I'm going to do, which is the key to secure, of course, to to finish this year, but definitely also for next year, is events, sponsor events, and an investment meetings. Because I find these this budget together with my manager daughter Reese Mason, this is a, a huge work that we are doing, and it isn't funded by my family. So each season is funded by investors and sponsors, which means there's a lot of work, and it's not just traveling on races and races and, and try to win. There is a very serious and a lot of work going on in the background. So that's the, like the three things I will do in this break. And if I have to answer if it's going to help me or not with this long break, I would have loved to go straight in after Monza. You know, you have such a good feeling. The, the momentum is there. That would be great. But at the same time, I know that can I actually deliver a, in Abu Dhabi? It's a good test for me. Uh, mm. To have that break off and then deliver. If I can do that, uh, I think it's a good test uh, coming up for next year.
1: Yeah, I suppose in a, in a lot of ways, Abu Dhabi is not too dissimilar to Monza. Lots of long straights and ninety-degree corners. It's a low enough downforce track, so if, if whatever set setup be used for for Monza might be maybe a little bit applicable to Abu Dhabi. Compared to say, if we're going to Braz- if you're going to Brazil for the last race, which would be wildly different.
3: Yeah, potentially, but. I think when there is such a long break, the, the everything that was in the body in one eye is pretty much gone. Mm. And you sort of go back to everything you have in your toolbox from the past twelve years of racing. And and you know, you you prepare, you I will go to ART to prepare the, the final round in Abu Dhabi. And and with all of that knowledge,
0: we will we will do our best in, in Abu Dhabi.
1: Well, we'll all be cheering you on, of course. <laughs> Sounds good.
0: <laughs> in terms of the Mercedes program, then, what 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 is it they doing at this at this point in time for your career? Are they obviously giving you kind of time, obviously in the simulator, you say? But are the, are the drivers coming to talk to you, or any mechanics or whatever engineers? Are they, do they do they have much contact with you at this point? Yeah, so obviously
3: there there's there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. They are fully committed to to my development. They know that they know where I am and they that they know where they want me to be. And they support that journey. So that's both in the same. It's physical. It's meant they're there to support me. We have also uh, two guys on track almost each weekend uh, from the Mercedes team to support me. So there's Gwen from the head of the Young Driver program. And then there's Stefan, who is, who is really, let's say, on hand, like on, on track, really working with me, talking to me and, and trying to, to push the team in the right direction as well. Yeah. So so there is, it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. And it, I can't you know, develop and, and do all the results just by myself. It's a massive team. There's driver coach, performance coach, manager, and then there's two, three people from Mercedes as well. So they, it's a big team that's around mm. me to to support, uh, yeah, to support every area of where performance can be.
0: Any other questions for Fred? And um, I'm just... Oh, just sorry. sorry. Ladies Am first. You go ahead, yep. <laughs>
2: Just going back to Monza quickly obviously F2 races do tend to be a bit more eventful than Formula One races but that race in Monza was really crazy there's safety cars here there and everywhere restarts how was that for you because you had to go into the pits and then straight away there's a red flag like it was very very crazy race for you.
3: Yeah like I watched it back and it's a lot more chaotic actually watching it. And it, it feels <laughs> in the car because can you imagine being behind the steering wheel and not knowing what, what actually happens? You're just sort of focusing. Okay. I'm now the sixth guy. Uh, I need to pass five more to win this race. That's sort of the mentality. So it's a lot more simple than it looks, but say, saying that it's not simple at all because there's strategy. There is the pace management when to overtake. If I make a mistake now, I'm going to lose this race. You know, there's, there's so many different aspects that can that can change the result of the race. But yeah, it was chaotic in any way. <laughs> and, but, but it was a bit more chaotic watching it afterwards. So yeah, you, you just have to deal with the situation and, and sort of task after task mentality. And the first thing was to do a good opening lap, good first stint. And then the next task was to do a clean pit stop. And, and we were then lucky that there was actually a safety car so we could do pretty much a free pitch stop. And, and obviously we didn't plan for that, but we hope for it. But it is that kind of task after task mentality, which just makes it more simple for, for everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: Sean, now your question. Go for it. So it's been a, a, just going back to the, to the rest of, of this season so far, you'd mentioned that like your, your favorite race to win, if you were to win one, would be like Monaco or Silverstone. But of the races this year, other than Monza, What was your favorite race of the year? Like, what is your favorite track on the calendar other than maybe those two which everyone would kind of like to win like of of this year's calendar?
3: Yeah, so there's two races I want to mention. There is the back race win, which is obviously my my really breakthrough where I really got on the top of the podium. I proved to myself and everyone that I'm actually capable of winning in Formula 2. That's like the first moment where it was really cool. The second one actually doesn't stand out as anything on a piece of paper, which is... Budapest feature race. I start P7. I'm on, this, I'm on the hard tire in the beginning of the race. I know I have to do a really good job if I want to, to score good points and I just find the zone. Something happens and, and I'm absolutely flying on the track. I'm on old tires while people have boxed early to put the new hard tires. And I'm actually outpacing them on old hearts. Unfortunately, I had a five-second penalty from an incident on lap one where I squeezed a guy off the track and got a five-second penalty for that. I finished, I think, five seconds off the lead. And I lost seven seconds from that pit stop with that time penalty. Mm. So in my head, I could have won that race. And yeah. it was just one of, the ra- one of those races after like, wow, this was really a race of my life. Like I felt different, just different to what I feel normally when I race. So... I wish I had won that race because then I would tell everyone that that was the race of my life so far.
1: <laughs> it's fascinating to hear drivers talk about like, I didn't win that race, but that was like Fernando Alonso said that kind of about like Hungary last year when he was yeah. holding off Lewis Hamilton forever. Yeah. And that that was one of the best drives of his career and he finished nowhere. Um, exactly. But the drive he put in was absolutely world class. So I, I love hearing stories like that, that it's not all about, Oh, I won win. that race, so that was the best one. Exactly. Uh, sometimes but it's how you felt you drove on the day. And uh, yeah, that, that, exactly. that's fantastic.
3: And sometimes you can win, but actually it wasn't, you know, things can happen. Like it's like it's but it's it's the feelings behind. It's it's how mm. you arrived to, to to the end of the race. How how did it feel and what did you do? And and that penalty hold me back, but it was also that penalty that pushed me forward to do an even better job, you know. So yeah, I wish I had won that race. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So what does the future hold for next year then? Is it, is it another year with ART, hopefully winning the championship in F2?
3: Well, definitely the plan is to, to do another year. And, and the focus is, of course, to win the championship. But while saying that, also I, I have to remind myself that winning the championship means being in the present. And it's being in the present right now, but also at each single race weekend next year. Because if you start the year thinking okay, I need to, to win this championship. If I don't, I'm out of F1. All of this, like you won't make it to F1. Then the year's already over. It needs to, it's again, the development. It's the progress that each driver have to go through. And, and that starts in the beginning of the year and it finishes in Abu Dhabi at the season finale. So I don't want to put too much pressure on myself and I don't want to, to make this like, either I win or I lose everything. That's not really the mindset I'm going to have next year. It's going to be, I'm going to do the best I can and be in the present moment every single time I'm in the car because then I know I will have the final results at the end of the year. Yeah, so that's that's where my head is at and that's what I want to to achieve.
0: Brilliant. Well, I, I think that's a really good um, quite, quite and quite a good message for our listeners maybe as well to kind of end on there with your interview. But thank you very much for coming to chat to us today. It's been really interesting hearing from you. Yeah,
3: thank you very much for for giving me the opportunity to join the podcast. And I, I love your passion for the, for the sport and that you bring that to, to the fans. So very good job. Well, thank you very much.
0: Well, we are Everything F1. Again, well, I'm going to say it all again, but we are on all our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, and our website, www.everythingf1.com. You can also, of course, subscribe to our podcast by hitting the bell or the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service. Fred, do you want to promote yourself on socials where our fans can go and follow you? Yeah, sure. On Instagram, which is my,
3: where I spend the most time on my social media is Fred Official. And my Twitch stream. So I love to do Twitch streams when I'm off and when I have the time for it. It's not a consistent thing, but when I'm at home in the UK, I love to do a racing Twitch stream. So make sure you, you go and watch that if you have time.
0: Yeah, go and subscribe to, to Fred's streams and yeah, go and see how he does on all the Sims. That'd be great. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much for everyone that came to listen today. And thank you for my team as well, for showing up, Sean and Emma. Thank,
1: thank you very you. much. Great to meet you, Fred. Thanks for coming along. Thank you.
0: I've been James Tiller. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. Join us next week when we speak to, who are we speaking to, Emma? You've got the list.
1: Jack this Crawford.
0: Oh, Jack Crawford next week. Yep. So come and speak. Come and listen to us next week where we speak to Jack Crawford. We look forward to doing that then. So bye-bye and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.